All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Bert Newman. I'm the pastor of discipleship here. Uh, pastor Mike is um, currently uh, in uh, Florida. He had a, um, someone pass away in his family, and, and so we went there this weekend. So we'll be praying for him uh, and his daughter Nadia as they're traveling. Um, they should be back um, soon, I think. So, But uh, I'll, I'll be preaching today. We're continuing on in our Advent uh, series and uh, we're doing something a little bit different. Instead of focusing on the first advent, the coming of, of, of Christ on, on what we celebrate as Christmas, we're celebrating uh, the next, the next uh, coming of Christ, the second advent um, that we are waiting on. And kind of the reason behind this is, is uh, this, this, this concept of living, living between the advents of, um, and, and, and how do we do that. So uh, today we're going to be in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Um, starting in verse 17. So as, as you're turning there to Philippians 3, I, I do want to again invite uh, everyone to come tonight at 5 o'clock is when we're actually going to do the meeting. Um, and the meeting will consist of uh, some updates and some kind of visions for uh, the future of the church. And we'll have um, a vote for the budget and all those kind of things, but also a time of prayer. And that's kind of what Cody was alluding to, a time where we will prayer and just uh, thanksgiving for the ways God has blessed us and, and been gracious been gracious to us, because uh, it's, it's all about him. It's all about what he has done for us and not ourselves. And so that's something we're going to be doing tonight. Please come, even if you're a college student. Uh, if you're not a member, please come and, and, be, a, and be a part of it. Uh, we'd love to have you. So Philippians 3, uh, starting in verse 17, and I'm actually going to read to 4.1. Uh, so let me read you. The, the Word of God says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with, the mind, with minds set on earthly things. But... Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you can set our hearts uh, on you, Lord, uh, I pray that for myself. I pray that my, my focus, my heart, my mind um, can, be, can be on you, can be on your word, that I can teach it well, that I can show these truths well, Lord, that, that you speak through me with your spirit. I pray also um, for us and those in the congregation, Lord, that hearts can be open, minds can be open, that your spirit can work, uh, Father, that it can be encouraging as well as convicting and, and challenging and that uh, your truths uh, may be evident and that those truths um, affect us so deeply that they change the way that we live, Father. Lord, we live in hard times between the Advent, Lord, where we live in a world that wants to pull us towards itself, Father, but I ask that you can teach us to focus on you, to imitate those that you've put in our lives to, to bring us to you, Father. I, I pray for that. I ask deeply for that, Father. And I, Lord, I pray things in your name. Amen. All right, so um, the book of Isaiah uh, is a very large uh, Old Testament book, and it uh, speaks of the kingdom of Judah. That's part of uh, when Israel was split in half, so the kingdom of Judah. And they were going through very, very challenging times. Uh, it was very, very hard. Uh, many people during that time 
were not following after God. Uh, they were doing their own things. And because of that, there was uh, great um, pain. They were being attacked by other countries. Uh, there was worshiping of other gods uh, and all these things. And so this, this prophet Isaiah came in and he spoke and he kind of spoke against them, warning them of, of, of what they're doing and how it's causing problems. Uh, but he also came and spoke to them hope. And some of these uh, passages of hope, we actually often we sing or we say during Christmas time. Here's a couple of them. One is Isaiah 7:14 says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign: the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel." Another one is Isaiah 9, 6, which says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so these verses we often talk about around Christmas time because they are the promise of the coming Savior, the promise of Jesus um, in this time that we call Christmas. And that is the hope that Isaiah gives these people. These people are going through hardship. They're going through challenges. They're being pulled to uh, want to follow other gods, to live uh, for themselves. Uh, but Isaiah is saying, no, there, there is a hope coming. There is someone coming. There is a time coming where we will not be subject to other kings. We will not be uh, subject to our own sins, subject to these false gods, but we will be subject to the wonderful counsel, the mighty God, um, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and it's talking about the coming of Jesus. And so for hundreds of years, uh, the Israelites and even the world waited for that time to come. We'll fast forward to after the coming of Christ and his death on the cross and the saving um, of uh, the, the payment of the sins uh, for those who believe and trust in Christ. The church is now between the two advents, and we find ourselves in many ways in a similar position to uh, the Israelites, the people of Judah during the time of Isaiah. Uh, even now, even though we, we are trusting in Christ, if you are believing and trusting in Christ as your Savior, you are His, but the world is still pulling. The world is still um, calling us to, to uh, worship other gods, to worship ourselves, to worship things of the earth. Uh, and in, speaking into this is Paul here in uh, Philippians. He is speaking into this concept of, okay, life is hard. The life of a believer is very, very challenging. But I am telling you that you can withstand, that you can stand firm. And so he gives us one main command in this passage. One main command, and that main command is right away, says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So his way, his, one of his ways that he wants believers to stay the course, to be faithful to Christ, is to imitate him. To imitate him and to imitate others who are imitating him. Him. And this is something Paul says a lot in his letters. Uh, and he always says it in light of, and he, and he says before, and we'll kind of get into this later, uh, in light of him imitating Christ, right? This idea of, of, of focusing on him and being like he is, but not just himself, but also people um, to you. He at this time is in Rome, so he's not near them, but he is saying, but there's a, there are people around you who are following after me. Do what they do. Follow after what they are doing. And so he, he not only says what we are to do, but he also says 
the, gives us a warning as if we don't because he mentions these, these people who walk according to his example, but then he mentions people who walk a different way. If you notice in verse 18, he says, those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There in, in verse 18, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So in this passage, he's contrasting two different things that you could decide to focus on and two different things that you could decide to imitate. You could decide to imitate Paul and others like him and others who, who are seeking after Christ with all of their heart, or you could imitate after those who are of the world. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look into how he describes, how he describes these enemies of the cross and also how he describes himself and others who follow after him. Before we get into that, something I, I think is really, really helpful is to think about uh, Paul himself. So he says to imitate him. So I think it's valuable to look in this passage and see from this passage even things we can imitate about Paul, things that we can take from Paul and things that we can understand about him as, as we're taking in these truths that he is saying. And so the first one I have on here is that sometimes that idea of, of, of Paul saying, well, imitate me sounds kind of arrogant to us. Don't we kind of see that? Like just, just this idea of saying, well, hey, do what I do, follow after what I say. Um, but I can say, uh, that Paul, when he says that, he is saying it very humbly. Even if we just go just a little bit earlier in this chapter um, to verse 12, he, he's, he's talking about him growing in his faith. He's talking about uh, all, he, all he needs is Christ. All he desires of all the things he's done is to know Christ as the Savior. And then he says in verse 12, um, not that I have already obtained this or am, re- and, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is humbly saying, follow after me. He's like, look, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. I've not reached the perfection yet that Christ has for me that he will have on his return. But like you, I am pressing forward. I'm, I'm forgetting what lies behind me. I'm straying forward and looking ahead and looking at that prize and, and, and do as I do. As I, as I am a, a flawed seeker, seek after me, with me um, as, we look, as we look towards Christ. And so that is, is, is one thing I think... I, I was really challenged with um, as an elder of this church, as a, as a, as a pastor, um, even as, as a husband, as a father, to be able to say that, to be able to say, imitate me. And it's, of course, very challenging too, isn't it? It's very challenging to think of this concept of um, Im- imitate me. And, and, and in this, he's saying to imitate him, but also imitate those in the church that are um, of the same vein of him doing the same. So it's also a call to us to imitate after Christ, but also to be people that are worth imitating, to be people that live in such a way, people that are seeking after Christ that we can be imitating, just to be thinking about, are, you know, you, you're being watched. Yeah, you, you, have an, you have an influence. And so I think that's something we can take Paul. I think it's something Paul took very, very seriously was that he, was, he knew that it was his job to be an example. And I think it is the same for many of us as well. Another thing I want to point out about Paul that I think we see here is, as I mentioned, he's talking about the enemies of the cross. And he's going to say very strong words about them. But some other things that he says about them here is he says that he, um, he speaks of them with tears, right? With tears and crying 
and, and it seems very clear that it's crying for them. Even with tears, I tell you, I tell you now, even with tears, right? So even though these are people that Paul sees as, as enemies of the cross, uh, people that are living very wrongly, he cares for them very much. He cares for them very much, so much that it brings him to tears. I think that is a great lesson from Paul. I think that's, that's something that we can very much take, take from him is that, yes, uh, people um, choose to live earthly. People choose to live after themselves. And to truly love them does not mean to accept that. It means to, to want to show truth to them and to really um, hurt and mourn when they do not see truth, when people do not see truth. Um, but along those lines, I also want you to note that he says, this is something that I have said many times, right? I, um, I have made it, sorry, um, f- for many of whom I have often told you, I've often told you, he cares for them, he loves them, but he sees the dangers in what they believe. He sees the dangers in what they do, and he knows it is very important that he often points out the dangers that these people are doing, not just to them, but more importantly, he says even to, to the people of the church. It is important to Paul that people do see the dangers of um, these enemies of the cross and the way they live. And so even though he, he loves them and he cares for them and he, and he cries for them, he also does not stray back from saying to others what they're doing is wrong. Uh, and again, I think that is, is, is very helpful. And the third and final thing uh, about Paul as, as we're looking through this, I want you to see, um, it's throughout, but I want you to really look at, at that verse one in chapter four. In one sentence, he has, you could call it six, I'm gonna say five awesome terms of endearment to the church, just showing how much Paul loves the people of the church. Right? He calls them his brothers. He says, my brothers whom I love and I long for. What strong language, whom I love and I long for. He's in, in prison in Rome and they're in, in Philippi. He loves them and he longs for them. He calls them his joy and his crown, right? His joy. Have you ever thought about that? Like other people, like the, the church, the body being your joy um, and being your crown because he's, he's ministering to them. And so he sees them as his, as his reward. He sees them as that. Um, as uh, he, he feels honored to be uh, a part of, of, of ministering to them. And then finally, my beloved, those, again, love, those who I, who I dearly love. And so I think we can take from this, how even though Paul, is, and Paul also says that in light of very difficult things he's about to say in the future, if this, if this letter with the next thing he's about to say, so he's saying that also to, to encourage in that way. But I think, that's, I think we need to be talking to each other that way. I think we need to talk to each other with great love and great affection, um, showing value to each other through our words and through the ways we speak of each other. So those are are three things I think are really valuable to think about as we go through this. And so let's start now um, with his his contrasting of of these two types of people that walk, these two type of people that you can watch. Um, so notice here that he's, he, he's, he does both warning, but he also does encouraging. He's talking about the value of focusing on, on this, on, on something, but he's also pointing out that it may seem, it may seem like focusing on Christ, that focusing on those who imitate God could be really risky, and it, and it is, but his big theme is that, is that it's worth it. It's worth it. And uh, as I was thinking about this concept, I was thinking about 
Um, there's a, a movie, uh, A Knight's Tale. It's about jousting, right? It's, it's knights, knights, knights jousting. And, and uh, the main character, some of the um, seasoned knights are, are watching him and they're like, wow, he's got a really different technique. His technique of, of jousting is really different. And one of the ladies is like, how? And in, in what way is it different? And the guy says, well, so at time of impact, when they're running at, they're coming at each other, and at time of impact, um, when the lance comes and hits, almost everybody looks away so that shards up from the lance don't come into their eyes. And he, and he points out that he does not. He keeps his eyes forward the whole time. The whole time he's look, he's risking, he's risking something coming in and 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 hurting his eyes. But he he holds the value of hitting his target above that. He's willing to take that risk. And I just thought about that concept. of This is is looking and imitating after Christ and imitating after those who imitate Christ is risky, but the risk is worth the reward. To hit to hit the mark, to hit the point, to um, to stand firm, uh, we need to keep our eyes on the target and not worry uh, about, about, about the risk, but rather move forward through it. And so now let's, let's get started. Let's look at, Paul has, has four ways that he describes enemies of the cross, and it's uh, all kind of in the one verse. He says in verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory is and they glory in their shame with mindset and earthly things. It is one verse, but it is four very powerful descriptors. And so I want to go through those really quick. And so the first one, the first one is that their end is destruction. And something I want to point out as we're looking into these is that we don't know exactly who Paul is talking about here. Like if he's talking about a specific false teaching, it's possible Based on the way Philippians 3 starts, he's talking about Judaizers, and these are people who were adding Jewish law to the gospel. Um, that's very possible. That's who he's talking about debating, but the language he's using sounds actually a little bit different than that. It's possible also that he's talking about um, libertarians, people who believed that now that they trust in Christ by grace, they could live however they wanted to live. Um, so it's possible he's talking to these kind of people. I think either way, we can come to the same conclusions and see that these are people who are uh, earthly. And so what we're going to really focus on is how Paul describes them in this passage. Because um, I think, it, I think it's, it's just as helpful doing it that way. Um, and so he says, their end is destruction. Uh, he, he's, he's pointing out that these people uh, who are enemies of the cross, their end is not eternal. Their end is not happy. Their end is not good. Uh, they are headed, whether the direction that they are going is destruction. They are headed towards death. They are headed towards, towards pain. Even if their life seems good, even if it looks like the life that they are living now looks great, the truth is they are headed towards destruction. The second thing he says is that their belly is their God, right? And in contrast to God being their God, he's saying that their belly is their God. And some, and some uh, commentators kind of try to look into this to see if, okay, maybe he is talking about libertarians because they believe they could eat as much or anything as they want and maybe even be gluttonous. But I actually don't think that's what he's getting at. I don't think he's talking about literal uh, eating or belly. I think is what he's saying is their God is that hunger, that hole inside of them that they're trying to fill. Their goal, their God is that thing that, man, if I just had this, I would be okay. 
If I just had, if, people, if enough people accepted me, if enough people liked me, if I had enough money, if I had enough security, whatever it may be, their belly, their hunger, their desire, that empty hole is what they serve. That's what they worship. That's what they sacrifice to. The decisions that they make, the decisions that they make are based on filling that hole on that hungry belly of theirs, trying to uh, satisfy that sensation of, of, again, whatever it may be. Maybe it's acceptance. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's um, friendship. Maybe it's a relationship. Uh, maybe it's fame. Maybe it's glory. Maybe it's being right. Whatever it may be, it's, 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 they're, they're hungry. And that, is, and that is what they want to fill. And that is their God. And they worship that God. They sacrifice that God. They listen to the high priests of that God on, on YouTube and Facebook or whatever it may be uh, or on the news that that is what they are seeking after and that is what they worship and that is what they glory. And that moves us on to the third thing that he says and that is that they glory in what is their shame. And this took me a little bit to kind of think about uh, what this means. And I think the more I thought about, the more clear it came um, and it's kind of more obvious than I thought originally. And it's, that, and it's, very, it's very much that what they see as valuable, what they see as glorious, what they see as their treasure is actually shameful, is actually sinful. And it's very similar to the concept of their belly being their God. And that is that they uh, are selfishly serving something else and that is their glory. Man, how much money they have, how many friends they have, how liked they are, how successful they are, they glory in that. But the fact that they glory in that, that's their shame. That is their shame because they are glorying after something subpar. They're glorying after something uh, below the value of Christ, below the value of what they could be glorying in. And that is their shame. The fourth and final is kind of a wrapping up of all of it. Uh, and it says, this is, it says their minds are set on earthly things. I think you guys are really starting to see uh, uh, the tendency here, right? And it's that concept of, of things of here, things of now, things of the earth, things of, of ourself. And um, that's what their minds are set on earthly things. That's what their focus is on. Their focus is on earthly things. That's what they want more than anything. They believe very strongly that the things of this earth, the people of this earth, the gods of this earth will satisfy them and they are they're thinking about it constantly. That's what they're working towards when they, when they, when they think, when they're, even when they're not thinking, that's where their focus is. That's what their minds are set on, on earthly things. All of their goals are material. All their goals are of this earth. And so I hope that you feel the same way about, this, about these people as I do. And, 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 and one big thought that I hope comes into your heart and your mind is, Am I an enemy of the cross? Am I an enemy of the cross? Is my end destruction? Is my end destruction? Or am I trusting in Christ alone for eternal life? Is my God God? Or is my hunger my God? Is, 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 do I worship my desires and my, and, my, and my wants and my needs and my wanting to fill that emptiness 
Is that why I'm wishing? Because this week as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, I, I really want to be comfortable. And I really want people to think I'm successful. Is my belly my God? Ask that question. And what are you glorying in? Are you glorying in Christ? Are you glorying in the blessings that he's given you? Or are you glorying in things that in Christ's return are gonna bring you shame? Are you glorying in the things that you have accumulated, the thrones you have made? Or are you glorying in the throne of Christ? And finally, what's your mindset on? What is your mindset on? What are you thinking about constantly? What's your default? Where do you go? Are you set on things of this earth or are you set on things above? And Paul continues and he says a really awesome word. Um, in verse 20, he says, but however, on the other hand, look at the other side. And this word is to be contrast, right? Um, and what he says here in verse 20 and 21 is believed to be a song, actually like a hymn. It's believed to be part of a hymn. And it's really awesome when you think about it that way because what he is doing is he's saying this hymn, but this hymn contrasts everything he just says about the enemies of the cross, right? It contrasts everything. So that's what I wanna look at now. And I wanna go through these four contrasts. You notice that those four characteristics of the enemies of the cross, notice it's all based on what drives them, what, what makes them tick. And the four uh, contrasting characteristics on the other side are the same. They are what drives, we could say, friends of the cross, or we'll use Paul's language to say citizens of heaven. What drives citizens of heaven? If you are trusting in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. And what, what drives you? Um, and so the first thing he says, and he points out in verse 20, is our citizenship is in heaven. And of course, that beautifully contrasts the enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, our end is heaven. In fact, saying that we are citizens now, he's saying our, not only is our end heaven, our present is heaven. Like we are currently now in this moment, if you're believing and trusting in Christ by faith, you are a citizen of heaven. You are not of this earth. And so you can live with that hope, not that you are walking towards destruction, not that you are walking towards, towards an inter, eternal end of punishment, but an eternal end, or eternal foreverness of being with Christ, of being a citizen in heaven and living as such. And because, of, and that's a huge help, right? When you think about this concept of taking your mind off of earthly things, it's a lot easier to do that when you realize I'm not from here. I don't have to live like I'm from here because I'm not from here. I'm from somewhere else. I'm from another place. And next, he says, from it, from heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great um, Christmas-like passage. We await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is not our belly. Our God is Jesus Christ. Our God is a savior God. Our God is not our own self. It's not our own hunger. It's not our own emptiness. Our God is the savior of the world. Our God is the God who has already come as we celebrate, and as we celebrate Christmas. He's the God that has already come, already proven he is God, already proven that he can pay for our sins on the cross. 
And that is the God who he is coming back. Our God is coming back. Our God is not an empty hole inside of us that we try to fill and fill and fill and fill and fill and never fills up. Our God is a real God who is coming back and we are awaiting him. Awaiting him. What hope that is. What hope there is. And our glory is not our shame. Our glory is the glory of Christ. If you look here, he says, uh, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. These bodies that we have that hurt, that get sick, that feel pain, that feel sadness, the hurt that we, that we have on this earth will go away because we will have the glorious body of Christ. That is the glory that we live for. We live for not trying to fix or make better or fulfill these earthly things, we live for the glory of Jesus that is coming, a glory of Jesus in which we await, that we desire uh, to have come to be with. And then finally, in verse uh, 4-1, he says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, again, therefore, in light of all that, my joy and my crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord. Citizens of heaven, you are not of a mind that is set on earth, but you stand firm in the Lord. Those who are of Christ, our mind is not set on the earth, because believe it or not, as big and solid as we think of the earth being, it is sand, and we will fall but we stand firmly on the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. And there is the only place that we can truly stand firm. And so in this contrast of these two types, it seems very, very clear, it seems very clear that to be a citizen of heaven is to be in a place of hope, to be in a place of security and to be in a place of joy. But Paul is saying this to the Philippians because he knows that when the darkness comes around, it's hard to see those things. We can have a hard time seeing our God. We can have a hard time seeing that our end is eternally with him. We can have a hard time seeing that our glory is in God's glory. We have a hard time setting our hearts on standing firm in Christ. And that is why he is telling us to imitate those around us, those who are trusting in Christ, those who are believing. And what Paul is saying in many ways is it takes all of us. It is going to be very hard to walk as a believer, to walk as a citizen of heaven without your other citizens with you. And that's what the church is for. That's what the church is about. It's about citizens of heaven walking together, living together, encouraging each other, confronting each other, all of these things. And I think that's Paul's big pull here. Look at him, look at his teachings. Look at what he teaches in, in the word. Read the scriptures, see what it says. And surround yourself with people who do the same. Surround yourself with people who value the cross, who are not enemies of the cross, people who value 
and have eternal, an eternal perspective of where they are going and what their glory is, that their glory is in Christ. That is how, when the darkness comes, we fight it. We do it together. We do it by imitating each other. And again, like I said earlier, by being people that do that and can be imitated. I think it's very, very important. And we do that together. And I love this Christmas season because we think about the coming of Christ. I love this concept of the second advent because something else we get to do together that brings us all hope, that fights the darkness, that brings us this joy and this care and this love for Christ, but also for others to see and be a part of that joy and love is that we come together knowing that we have a Savior coming. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about a song um, that I've listened to many, many times by Rich Mullins. Um, and I just want to read a, a, a few words from it. Uh, the song is a neat song. It's, it's, called, it's called My Deliverer. And it's a neat song because it, it's very much like what we're doing for Advent because it begins and it talks about this concept of um, the people of Israel calling for the deliverer to come at Christmas, but then how we now are still calling and desiring and yearning for a deliverer to come now. And this is what it says. It says, my deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. I will never doubt his promise, though I doubt my heart. I doubt my eyes. My deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. He will never break his promise, though the stars should break faith with the sky. My deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. We can live in such hope together, imitating one another, imitating Paul, knowing that our deliverer, the one we should imitate above all, is coming. Our Savior is coming. I'm going to close in prayer, but uh, after I do, uh, Joanne Neal is going to come up and share her testimony. So let me pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you are a God who comes to us, a God with us, Emmanuel, a God who, though in our darkness, though in our empty hearts, we seek after the things of this earth, Father, we are sought after by you. You have come, you've sent Christ to us, and we pray, Lord, I pray for those here that when they ask the questions, am I an enemy of the cross? And the answer is yes, Lord, that they turn to you, that they believe and trust in you, knowing that by faith alone, by your grace alone, they can trust in you. Lord, show them that. Father, I pray also for all of us who are trusting in you, who are citizens of heaven, that we can live as such, that we can live in the joy and the glory that comes not from ourselves, but comes from Christ alone. Father, Lord, may we in this time wait with joy for you, Father. We pray things in your name. Amen.